I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. 2021 has started for many, like most of 2020, in lockdown. I, like many of you, have turned to podcasts to help me get through this period, to help me understand more about specific areas of life in business, to open me up to explore new things, and to to reiterate the value of your own experience and how they can help others. Hopefully this podcast is helping you in this way, and I'm keen to expand the pod in 2021 to as wide an audience as possible, because without doubt I can honestly say that the people that have joined me on the virtual sofa to date and those that have planned in the future have insights that can, and I know have, helped you in your activities. As such, please do share this pod on your social media channels. Please do subscribe so that you get notified when a new episode is released, and please do rate us and leave your reviews. These really do matter. I'm delighted to welcome Chris Gibson on the pod today. As you'll soon find out, Chris has had a very interesting career and has been involved in numerous critical campaigns and programs that have delivered, in some cases, life-saving outcomes. Through all these experiences, Chris has carried a consistency and approach that he openly shares with you. I'm sure you'll enjoy this story. Um, Hi, Chris. Uh, Great that you can join us today. Uh, What a fascinating background you have. A career that has spanned the NHS, Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Defence and now the private sector. You've been involved in some, uh, immobilising some really big uh, strategic operations and delivering significant programmes. So I'm really looking forward to exploring how your background has influenced the way that you deliver transformation today. So uh, let, let's start by talking a little bit about the roles that you have done in, and the challenges that you've faced. Do, do you want to just give me a, a quick overview of, of, of Chris and, and your career today? Gosh, wow. That's an intro. Um, so I think it's important to wind back to the start um, of, of, you know, I, I didn't exactly perform with distinction at school, uh, I, I very much like my sport and uh, very much uh, under-delivered on uh, my my Scottish equivalent of A-levels, so my higher results weren't, weren't the best. So the options of university were taken away from me and, uh, and we were in a recession in uh, 1983. Uh, so I stepped into the, to the army as a, as a private soldier. Right. Um, I didn't really, I didn't come from a military family um so i had no idea what to expect so there was a bit of shock of capture wh- when that occurred and there was many phone calls to parents saying i've made a terrible decision can i, can I come home and uh, to which my dad was uh, very much no <laughs> you know you 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 you've uh, you've laid your stall out you need to stick with it and uh, and get on with it and uh, and and in the main i'm really glad he did tell me that because uh, you know, I think I had a really exciting and uh, slightly unique uh, career in the army, uh, which saw me have some success, some great responsibility, and, and the ability to lead uh, and hopefully develop um, some really high-performing teams within that. So um, it's quite interesting, actually. The times goes. I think I came out of school just the same time as you did, and um, a number of my um, friends from school uh, went into the forces as well and I think there was that sort of period of time wasn't it just around the Falklands and a lot of people were attracted into it um, as a result of that I, I, I certainly some of my friends were, were attracted into it as a result of yeah. what happened in the Falklands. No absolutely you know I think it's uh, 
highlights the profile of some of the good that the armed forces and the camaraderie that that we strive for it, it, not only in public sector but in business as well and some that's some of the things that you know there's no doubt we're missing now but that that uh, career saw me um deploy on on, on I, I did a couple of specialist courses which took me into working in small teams um and, and special forces for about 18 years so um that took me around the world to some of um, the places that you don't see on your hayes and jarvis uh, <laughs> brochures um so uh, there was a bit of a an early um baptism of fire uh, and the challenge of growing up very quickly to understand responsibilities uh, and, and some context to that is I spent 18 months in Beirut with um, B Squadron of 22SAS at 21 years old, trying to get Terry Waite and McCarthy and Keenan out of of, of um, the, the out of West Beirut. Yes. Um, so that gives some sort of context to the type of things that you find yourselves doing after only being in the military for three or four years, um, and that went on and 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 went on. So, you know, multiple trips to Africa, South America, Central America, um, and the Far East. I'm, I'm always fascinated talking to ex-forces people because uh, the, the, the stories that, that they tell and you're telling are fascinating and, and very difficult for people that have not been in, in the armed forces to, to, to appreciate, really. Um, but one of the key questions that I always ask is, is what... what Going into those high-pressure situations as a small team of people, um, you have to be completely reliant on each other. I'm assuming. Uh, what 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 helps you? In what 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 type of activity did you go through to help you build that camaraderie and that that real teamwork? Yeah. Because that 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 must be so powerful to operate. So you do, yeah. You know. The- there's there's many advantages the military have. Um, we get lots of time to train, and we train together, and we break bread together a lot, and and and, and that's very powerful about building trust and knowledge of people's strengths and areas for development. So you get to know your people really well, because uh, and the military, um, you know, the image of Windsor Davis type leadership uh, uh, from Aintar Fortman it, it, it isn't representative of what occurs. There's a lot of science and history gone into how to lead people well. Um, and when we ask our people to step onto the battlefield and, and, and work in the extremis of hum, human behavior, uh, we need to know that we have trained them and prepared them to, to work together to, to create the best effects. Uh, and the, because of that, there's a much more holistic approach to leadership uh, and well-being than than businesses traditionally may have adopted but there's definitely lessons that businesses can learn through that behavior you know the military like to to try and create the conditions don't always get it right but my experience is that they try to create the conditions where people feel reasonably psychologically safe to bring the whole self to work because we understand what's going on in the background yeah and 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 we have a, a holistic a said approach to to preparing people so the, going back to your your question i think there's two things um the, the time to get to know each other so we trust each other and, and therefore we know 
that there's two things. One, the worst thing we can do is let the person to the left and right down. Ooh. You know, that's the worst thing we could do. And we, we know that the person to the left and right would do anything to look after us. And therefore, this shared, adver- this, this galvanization in adversity um, builds a really strong team. And, and I always ask myself, so what? No, the so what of that is some of those lessons absolutely translate into business. And business will n- understand, if not now, uh, but as we come out of, of this really strange way of working that we have, and pulling their teams together, they'll have shared something and there's a real opportunity to regalvanize uh, because of the real unique nature of how we've had to find our way through this process. So there is lessons and opportunities that will, even though it'll be difficult for businesses to pick up, um, you know, there will be opportunities to bring their people together because we've all shared the same experience, which is in the main deeply unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, so just going back, um, you know, there's um, what, what's the old adage about uh, team building? It's sort of forming, storming, um, norming, norming, and forming. Yeah. Um, you know, within the military, then that that sort of getting to know people and really, under, like you said, breaking bread with them is that part of that process as well, where where, yeah. where you get your storming out of the way so that you can get to know know people, like people, trust people, and then you can really start to perform. I think so. You know. Obviously, you know, the, the, um, the, the sort of image of the sergeant's mess and warrant officer's mess or the officer's mess, you know, all, all medals and cigars and so on, it's, you know, it, it's not what it was set up for. In my view, it was set up for an area to be mentored, coached, um, go through cathartic ex- uh, experiences of, of sharing your fears amongst your peers so that you can be taught in you know in a non-judgmental way on how to perform to a higher level yeah and and, and that that's done in a safe environment over dinner or you know in in a space where 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 you feel not judged and and safer and certainly in some of the businesses and well some some of the public sector that have gone into hospitals where departments tend to eat together, they seem to perform better because they know each other and they yeah. coach and, and they look after people better. So the importance of it, it I, I, can't, I can't understate. It's interesting understate. because a lot of organisations um, don't encourage that, do they? They, especially the sort of, um, um, some of the more traditional organisations where they, they don't want the, the, the managers and the leaders associating or... or or uh, being friendly with their teams, um, and 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 they almost create that division, not necessarily to to, to provide that opportunity for them to to, to go through that, that 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 process, but to almost keep them separate because there's this belief that you know if if I get too friendly, I can't manage you effectively. But that well, I think you know I think there's a balance to be had. You know, I think of um, myself when you know as a warrant officer. Um, uh, and the non-commissioned uh, officers wanted to let the hair down. There was a time for for me to take the commanding officer out and say, "Time to go now." Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, because actually, you don't want them compromised. Yeah. And and as I sort of became a commanding officer, um, and you know, I, I recognised when it was time to pull away, because there there is a there is a danger of that occurring, but yeah. there's a balance to be had of of 
of how much time and, and, and how you give it. Because whether you like it or not, when you lead, your people are watching you. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I, and, you know, you can't walk by bad behavior uh, uh, or inappropriate behavior when you lead an organization and set the rules. Um, <coughs> so you, you stand the risk of being compromised if, if that is indeed about to occur. Um, so it's time to remove yourself from it. I've seen people get it really wrong around that, around social, you know, engagement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, you have to narrow the gap between what you say and what you do when you're a leader. You know, if you say behavior and standards and et cetera should be, you know, at X, you can't allow it to go to Y whilst you're there. You know, you've got to close the gap. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, but the, but I would encourage it with a caveat that you need to know when to pull away. Right, absolutely. Um, on your LinkedIn profile, you lead with, it's all about making people better. What do you mean by this? And tell, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I think, um, so firstly, um, if, you, if I go back to my military career, so I did about 18, 19 years of, of, of being a soldier and um, small, high-performing teams. And um, I was working with... Um, MI6 in the second Gulf War and we're flying up to Baghdad in a helicopter and it crashed and uh, I had to change I got a bit um, shaken up and uh, a bit of time in hospital but um, and I, I decided to I had an opportunity to commission um, and because the military wanted to keep me on and I, I commissioned into the medics and um, started to build a career again um, as a commissioned officer within within the medics, and I started working um, on the trauma hospitals for Afghanistan, and then ended up leading um, uh, in the design, assurance, and training of of not only the military people but all of the international uh, participants that went to West Africa for the Ebola outbreak in two thousand and four, two thousand five. Um, so it wasn't about making only making people better who were sick. It was about making people better to perform at, high, at higher standards and making teams better through yeah. a systems approach to to leadership. Um, where I was very, I'm very much interested in. If if you look at organisations, there's traditionally three components to an organization. Uh, the physical component, which is sort of the building, the, the equipment, your product, if it's a, a physical product that you produce, um, and and some of the ergonomics around that. Yeah. The, the next bit after physical is the conceptual component, which is your sort of tactics, techniques, procedures, operating procedures, your, your business planning, et cetera, all of which, which is exceptionally important. But for me, uh, the key ingredient and the golden thread to create an effective organization is the moral component of the organization mm -hmm. and how you look after your people. You, you've recruited them because of their talent, but if you don't allow them to flourish, you will not get the potential. Uh, and therefore, you, you are restraining your organization by not investing in the moral component. And I've seen that in, in organizations that when I was in the military asked to go and support across government uh, and since leaving and going into uh, my own business um, where we've gone to support others. So, uh, yeah. 
so that hopefully and what 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 type of thing do you do in that sort of supporting of the of the more perspective then what so you know what what type of things would you well, want to be seeing in a high performing team or a high performing organization so it starts with an understanding of, of so everything is new, unique. Every business, every team, every individual is, is it, it has individual requirements, uh, strengths, and areas for development. And until you do a, a detailed understanding of 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 that, you you will not be able to come up with the appropriate solution. Um, so we, whatever we do, we we con conduct an understand phase of, of it, uh, and from that. We, we will go into um, an, an advisory phase um, with the organization um, to really get highlight where we are seeing strengths to be reinforced and, and areas for development that, that are, are showing as weaknesses. Um, and basically we uh, collaborate with the senior leadership team to gain an understanding of what we've seen and a rationale as to as to it, and and then provide our thoughts on how to solutioneer um, better outputs or or better support to the areas that we find that are at flaw. So let me an example of that would be I was taken on as a advisor, special advisor to Rory Stewart when he was Ministry of Just uh, Minister of Justice. Mm -hmm. Um, to support him on the 10 prison project, which was a 12 month project. I was brought in uh, two months into it um, to reduce the level of violence in the 10 most violent prisons in, in England. Um, my role was really to look at the cultural aspects of, of, of this and try to understand what the, why it was occurring and, and provide a set of solutions and interventions to, to take that. So when we when I conducted the understand phase of these 10 estates, it became really apparent to me that where the deficit was, was the investment in the moral component, not of the prisoners, but of the staff. Right. And, their, and their confidence and competence was, was you know, suboptimal, to say the least. It was at rock bottom. And, and you know, there, was, there was many things that came uh, to light, you know, my unconscious bias came out really clearly. I had, I had a perception of what a prison officer would look like and, and, and be, and it was far removed. The first prison officer I spoke to was like 25 years old, maybe a bit older, um, started chatting to him, said, you know, how did you find yourself in here? He said, and he tells me when, that uh, when he finished his PhD at Cambridge, he uh, felt that he would uh, join the prison service because it was the right thing to do. Right. So we have a PhD Cambridge grad you know, working in a £22,000 per annum activity because he felt it was the right thing to do. So you, you realise that, you know, you have, to, you have to get rid of your unconscious bias, first of all. Then you have to understand what the, what the issue was. And um, their confidence and competence to be able to deliver the, the required effect was completely lacking. And uh, through that, I trained a hundred plus specially selected prison officers who in their coaching and mentoring roles 
So I could send teams of 10 to 12 into each of those establishments and start mentoring and coaching. So a fix and flight approach of building re, um, resilience into the staff and, and so that we grew their confidence and, and grew their competence to carry out core tasks. And, and, and strangely enough, yeah, we had some physical um, and conceptual work going on as well. The other components we, we made much easier understood and applicable tactics, techniques, and procedures for them to follow. And we, we improved some of the physical conditions of, of, of the prison at the same time. But, um, but the reality was, by, by getting after it and doing the understand phase, we understood what, how to close the gap. And within 10 months, we addressed the violence in nine of the 10 prisons. Right. The 10th one, you know, didn't want to follow uh, our, our scheme of maneuver, and, but the results spoke for themselves. It was the only one that didn't move. Right. So when you, interestingly enough, though, um, when, when you said the 10th one didn't want to, to move, is that what the leadership within that, 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 that yeah. prison environment just didn't want to, didn't want to didn't, believe that you had the answers? Didn't buy the vision. And, okay. um, but I'm much more comfortable with that. When I run the Ebola P, uh, piece, which was really high pressured, you know, this is not a terrible virus that COVID-19 is. This is Ebola virus disease where, where you have a 95 percentile of fatalities, not, not a one or two percent of fatalities. And um, we were under real pressure to, to get this right, to deliver first world care in the rigor of a West African jungle um, against a virus that we'd never engaged with before. And um, I found that, you know, two senior members of my team uh, wouldn't buy what we were trying to deliver and couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't engage in, in the vision and then and the mission and the lines of operation set as, as part of this, of this really dynamic uh, training and assurance process. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and on reflect, you know, it really damaged me that I think that uh, I was really hurt that they wouldn't follow it no matter what I tried. Um, it, it, they weren't going to shift. When things had come down, I had time to sort of reflect on it and some of the reading I did, it, you know, it became really apparent that actually that's very normal on any change program that, that you will have a small percentile that will, will not do and not move on, on any change program whatsoever. And um, going into other projects, I've been much more comfortable with that. Yeah. It, it, I, I really struggled with it. I have to say I really struggled with it. Uh, and, yeah, I uh, think uh, we, we've spoken about it quite a lot on previous podcasts, and uh, I, I used to call those people the terrorist of, of, of a program, which per perhaps isn't the appropriate terminology these days. But uh, <laughs> other people have been talking about um, red, amber, and green type of people, and, and those red people, as you say, you, you, you need to identify them really early because if you don't, they can have a big influence on the outcome of the program. Or, or and tend to be tend to attract other people towards them. Yeah, um, I mean, we were sending out twelve hundred doctors, nurses, and medics to to deal with this, and these was two people in the system that was that I was investing way too much time in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, I think my you know my lesson was really leadership can be really lonely. Um, you're not going to make everyone happy all of the time. If you want mm. to do that, go and sell ice cream somewhere because. <laughs> You know, don't try and lead an organization um, because you're not going to be able to achieve that. But I think you have to go through it to experience it, to learn it, to understand that actually 
you know, it's all right. It's all right to have that. What do you think are the key components for delivering successful transformation now? What are, you, what are the, so your must-haves um, that, you, that you look out for? So, I, I, you know, Simon Sinek talks about starts with why. So why are we going to change is really important. And what, you know, what would the benefit be? Once you've agreed that, I think, you know, setting the vision of where you want to, you know, what does Nirvana look like? What's this higher level achievement that we can bring our people towards that, ha- that creates a common language and understanding? So if you can get that right, it, 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 I think that's that's really important. And I, I speak to, um, I'm on the faculty of the Premier League Managers course at the FA, and I talk about vision setting with them quite a bit as they take over a new tenure, um, because it is something that a- allows higher level performance to occur through setting a vision. I think the US military um, at their staff college talk about it as being a fundamental component of leadership and command mm-hmm. that you, you create a, a, a vision. And then from that, um all of the other activity can take place so setting the you know the more operationalized bits of of, of business so, so, so setting the mission and the lines of operation that come out creating decisive conditions in your your plan that needs to be achieved within timelines understanding that the business will have something that you want to preserve at all costs so like a positive center of gravity um uh, I, I, and conversely it will have a negative center of gravity which is usually the catalyst for change to occur in the first place and if you can identify that and try and erode it really quickly um uh you you start moving you know creating the conditions for for that activity to succeed so yeah it it, it, you know it comes from there's lots of lessons that i've taken from the military into business but go back to what i said earlier when you see performance in a terrain where the extremes of human behavior occur, you understand what works well with people. Yeah. It's never really about the product. It's about the people that produce the product. And if you get them aligned and performing and motivated and supportive of each other, you have, you have created the conditions for success, I believe. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting as well that you mentioned your, your, your sporting uh, experiences as well. There's uh, uh, there's a podcast that I've been listening to quite a lot, the High Performance Podcast with Jake um, Humphreys and Damien. I can't remember his surname now. Um, but a really great podcast that sort of talks to sports people, business people, musicians, and, and, and actors about high performance. And um, it's, it, it's, it's, I think it's quite interesting just listening to those individuals that have operated in high performance teams and getting the common understanding whether it's in business whether it's in uh, sporting whether it's in, in in sort of acting in music and musicians and now talking to you in terms of the military this those common themes that are absolutely critical to to, to get in place if you want to operate in a in, as a high performing team and that's the same in delivering transformation and having that high-performance del- team to help deliver that transformation within an organisation. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I think there's sort of five key elements to sort of building and sustaining a high-performance organisation. I think one, one is setting the vision, um, which we already discussed. I think the second is to acknowledge that you need to recruit and retain um, ability. 
Mm-hmm. So, so you you know, there's only so much potential you every person has. You know, I, I'm, I'm acutely aware of my lack of potential, but uh, but you know, you have to be very honest about that. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, you know, Barcelona football club or the All Blacks won't won't recruit someone that's very poor at football or rugby. Yeah. But yeah, you know, so there has to be you know a, a benchmark of ability, and and when we have to be honest about that. But but taking that forward into the other three components, I think that um, performance discontent um, is really important. That there's always improvements that can be made. I think, but how that's done is really important. So I think back into sport and in the into the military, you know, reinforcing of success. It, it, it is hard to create a positive culture where where we talk about what we got right rather than focus on what we got wrong. Yeah. And, and um, so that, that really helps with regard to high performance. I think discipline and setting boundaries is really important whilst, whilst being cognizant of um, empowering your people, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I and I ask listeners on to this to think about it because I think it's really important with regard to uh, empowerment of, of your staff. You know, there's a hierarchy of it, and um, it starts with at the bottom. Are, are your people, you know, waiting to be told? Are are, are, are they asking to be told? Are they uh, seeking approval approval for a recommendation? Uh, are they seeking approval for an action they've already taken? Or are they, or at the top of the tri- triangle, top of the hierarchy, uh, are, are they getting on with it and 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 in informing you routinely? If you've yeah. got them towards the top, that's brilliant. But if if your people are waiting to be told to do something, mm. you, you're not empowering them. Um, so, just something to to think about. And I think the the last we've talked about discipline. The last one is is understanding politics and the politics mm. of the organisation, uh, internal and external. Think is really important. So that's sort of the five facets that I yeah. try and look at, and and they are so interdependent on each other, aren't they? Because yeah. Like you say, the politics of it all will, will have a massive impact upon the ability of the frontline staff to feel empowered, um, and and yeah. and to and to take chances and to and and to innovate, um, which are yeah. critical components of, of 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 successful business. Yeah, I mean, you know, innovation going forward, I think, will be really important, and you know. Did, I've spoken a bit on innovation um, at some academic institutes, and um, you know, we, I can I can wax lyrical about innovation, uh, but maybe it's for another another chat. But um, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very I'm very focused on on in, you know disruptive innovation yeah. and 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 and, uh, and empowering people within the workplace to innovate. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the only way moving forward, isn't it? It's having that framework that people feel comfortable to try different things and yeah. and, and not feel threatened by if, if I make a mistake or if I do something wrong, I'm going to get yeah. back over the head. Yeah, yeah, no, don't, you know, absolutely create the conditions for, you know, fast failure and fast learning. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. it will, you will, as long as you learn from, from it, uh, take it forward. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've tried... You know, I'm not saying any of this is easy in in business, but you will get better results by giving the freedom of movement for you. Allow your people to try things. It will not always work, but you will get better results in the long term. Absolutely. 
We, we always talk on these podcasts about how stressful life can get as you're delivering programs. And, and I'm sure just, 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 just listening to you and some of the things that you've been involved in, you've been involved in some very stressful situations. So what do you do to um, help to alleviate that stress personally? I, I've tried to read a lot on the subject. Um, and one of the things that I, there's a great book, I'm trying to remember the author as we're speaking, but basically called Why, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Um, and, and the reason it, that zebras don't get ulcers is that they don't respond to thoughts of of the lions. They only respond, they only respond to, to real lions. Right. Whereas we as humans respond to the thoughts of lions. Yeah. You know, we stress about things that are in the future. We stress about things that have already passed. And um, I've tried to learn to deal with the here and now much better and, and stop worrying so much. But I think there's sort of six things that I've tried to do in, in, in getting my head in the right place to build my individual re resilience. And so I try to reframe my thinking. I try to manage my emotions. I try to moderate my stress levels. I really try hard to be positive all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, positivity is really good for, for your resilience. Um, I, I understand um, how important it is to remain connected. Um, in these difficult times of separation, the body craves oxytocin, the release of that, of that hormone, which it, it is, is brought around through human connection. Um, and when we don't have it currently, we, you know, we're missing out on something. Yeah. Uh, so I try to exercise, um, and, and but um, to to replace some of that void, but whilst remaining cognizant of keeping really connected with friends and family and colleagues, uh, and and all of that gives me much better clarity and purpose, uh, clarity of purpose. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and 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 if you know your direction of travel, it becomes better to reframe, you know, and stay stay focused and not worry about the lions yeah. only the ones that are in front of you so yeah i think that for me yeah that's that, that i've learned really because i have pushed myself into unsafe space mentally through some of the tasks my worry that you know not i never worried about myself i always worried about what consequences of my leadership could do to others and, and, and because it's such a lonely place when you're sat sometimes at the top or near the top um you've got to find i think a way of doing that so i speak on resilience as now having been through the, the rough end of of, of yeah. stretching my bandwidth um but those are the sort of six things that that i try to do yeah um, great they're great they're great six things but I, I have to say that that image of of the zebra and the lion uh, we'll stay with <laughs> now, I've not I've not come across that book, but I I, yeah, I definitely like the analogy. Um, yeah. It's a great analogy. So just 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 coming back to to one thing you just mentioned though about um, um, as a leader, it can be quite a um, a lonely place. What, yeah. what have you done, and what what you know what success have you had in the past around helping link, linking together with other people in that sort of peer group so, to try to, you know, try to get you. Give you yeah. some sort of uh, uh, safe environment in which to in, in which to discuss your uh, the challenges and and the and the and, and equally the opportunities that you're facing. I think what you're doing right now, Tony, you know, is a conduit for for those that are feeling lonely at the top to sort of gain an understanding of 
and rationalization of their fears uh, and anxieties around around how they're doing the right thing. What I was lucky enough to do is, is I've always had good leadership in, you know, I've had those above me that have really cared mm-hmm. about me and I've kept that relationship up when all of us have sort of left the military and, and I've sort of found them to be great mentors um, as I've gone forward to where I can pick up the phone at any stage and say, I'm on this project, I'm really not sure if I'm doing the right thing here. This is the set of circumstances. What do you think? And um, so having that safe space to have those conversations, I think is really important. Um, and I would encourage, certainly from my experience, of getting a mentor is worth its weight in gold. You know, there's very few people that have the strength of character to lead in, in that complete isolation. Yeah, yeah. You know, because actually you might be getting it wrong. <laughs> and, well, I was just about to say that, that those people are very are, are probably very, very blinkered yeah. and, and, and operating very much in a silo and, and will have no idea when, when, when they're coming to a cliff edge. Um, and, um, and, and we've, we've all probably had experiences of people that appear to be great leaders and then just literally falling off a cliff edge uh, because they've not noticed it and they've had no one to talk to, 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 to tap them on the shoulder to say, hey, you need to, you need to pull back a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So that, you know, that would be me, you know, if you wanted a top tip, that would be it, get a mentor uh, because, because I've, you know, I have found it to be quite isolated on occasion. But you beat me to it because I was going to say if you can boil your experience down to one thing and one takeaway, what would that be? So would that be a mentor or just yeah. or is there thing? Is there something else? Do you think? Well, I think you know that's one component. I think don't give up on learning. Um, you know, don't give up on learning. I think um, there's a balance to be had, of course. But you know, I I know I could be so much better at many things, and um, and I, I strive to do that. And, and not be closed to new ways. You know, th- this business I have, uh, I have two businesses. One's a medical um, uh, uh, company that, that supports in the main the NHS, although we work with the health um, executive in the Republic of Ireland. But um, the other business I have um, is called the Growth Pod. And, um, you know, we, we do uh, well-being support about generating people-first cultures, that, that which I'm passionate about. And some of that um, in, involves working with um, really interesting people who are practitioners of many diverse <laughs> elements of, of well-being. So I find myself doing gong baths and meditations and things that, when I reflect back into my uh, military career, would be seen as certainly quirky at, at best. And quite bizarre at worst, I'm sure. But yeah, so but all of these I find, you know, I find really interesting, yeah. and, and, and in the main, you know, broadly beneficial. Um, some of this stuff I don't particularly think I'll go back and do again. But I'm always trying to learn, and and if you can keep your mindset open, um, you know, I think that's really health, really healthy as well. Now, I remember you telling me about some of the the, the retreats that you the the, the is it just outside Harrogate? I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so they, they they did sound fascinating. So if, yeah. it, if if people want to find out a little bit more about that, what what's what's the website? So it's um, the the growth pod um, Harrogate, and the wellness retreat where our, our um, offices are is called the Acorn Wellness Retreat. 
which is a real five-star residential, authentic well-being wellness center, um, which does great stuff. You know, it's it, it's there to support. Yeah. Um, well, we'll put a link in the show notes as well, so um, hopefully, thanks, Danny. Uh, That's really looking nice. for that. They uh, they, can, they can click on it. Well, um, thank you very much, Chris. That was that was fascinating. Uh, a, a great show, and uh, I'm sure there's lots of uh, <laughs> lots of things that people will take from it uh, and be able to apply um, within the within the programs that they're running at the moment. So, thank you very much. Yeah, no, pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Okay, cheers. Wow, thanks, Chris, for your openness and honesty today. I'm sure that our audience will be able to take as many aspects of what you've spoken about that will help them now and into the future. We've started to publish the pod on YouTube, so if you get a chance, please do subscribe to to the YouTube channel. This will help us to get the message out there to as many people as possible. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode, so thank you for listening and see you then.